Hi, this is Viv, and you're listening to a new episode of If I Did, You Can Too. The guest that I have for you guys today is the one who actually composed this music that you heard at the beginning of the podcast, that you always hear at the beginning and ending of the podcast, Ruzbe. It's a very actually interesting story. I knew him when I was in Iran because he was a part of this band that I really liked. And when I moved to Europe, I remember there was this festival that was in Poland in Katowice, I think. And he was there and we actually met and we started talking. It just felt really natural. It just felt like I knew this person for a very long time. So from there on, we developed a friendship that I am very proud of and very grateful for. He helped me create this magic for this podcast, the intro, the soundtrack of this podcast. And he also has created beautiful memories for a lot of us by us, I mean Iranians and non-Iranians that have heard his work. I recorded this podcast after a very long pause that I had. For some reason, it just didn't work out. None of the recordings worked out. Um, we couldn't set dates and stuff. But with this one, after this podcast, I was like, okay, I am back. And I've received a lot of love from you guys. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast with other people. Um, thank you also for storing it, talking about it for comments, for likes, for stars and ratings that you give on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for all the love and support. That's what I wanted to say. Now, let's just go and hear Ruzbeh's story and get inspired. Okay, guys, so we got Ruzbeh right here. Ruzbeh, go ahead and introduce yourself. So I am Ruzbeh Esfandormas. I'm a musician, uh, and uh, today it seems that I have to talk a lot about myself. So <laughs> That is very true. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yes. So, okay, you actually know the reason why you're on the show. In case you don't know, I'm going to remind you as well. The intro and outro of this podcast is done by this guy right here. And yes, and... It's really interesting how we became friends and we just met like three times. And I felt like I knew you for a very long time the first time we started to talk. So I've seen you grow and turn into this inspirational human being. You were, but like it's turning, everything is just growing. It's just so interesting to see how your life unfolds. And I would like for people to actually get a taste of that as well and hear your story. So, Ruzba, go ahead and start from the beginning. How did you even become a musician? Did you study at university? Were you interested at it from the beginning? What is the story? So, it's a, it's a simple story, actually. Um, um, I, I, I think I'm qualified to... Uh, to be a nerd because <laughs> I'm not that nerdish, but I'm not that unnerdish as well. So it's, it's a blend of both. As a nerd kid, um, I was always interested in, uh, music, in, uh, books, in a lot of uh, stupid games that not a lot of other children were interested to. So children would play in the street and I would be sitting at like a dinner table with my father and we would play chess and then when he's bored of chess, then, uh, <laughs> then I would, uh, put the book, uh, like a Bobby Fisher book and then just play some of Bobby Fisher's or you know, some other book. So 
Um, when I was nine years old, my mother found about this institute in Takht um, Tavus, <laughs> which is now named Motahari, and uh, it was uh, like a introduction to music uh, classes there. I was really lucky because uh, our teacher was a very good musician and very good teacher. His name is Saeed Komju, and I, I don't know what he's doing right now, but the last time I checked, he's doing some PhD in Canada, teaching a lot of uh, students in universities and doing a lot of shows. He's a phenomenal Kamanche player, but at the time he was uh, studying and teaching at, at that institute. And then he found out that I have this uh, knack for instruments and music in general. And then after a year with him, he when I was like, 11 something, 10, 11, he brought me to, uh, like he said, come, come with me. And then uh, he brought me to this class that there was this uh, very old gentleman that I later came uh, came to know him as, he used to be like a minister or something for the late Tehran Conservatory and uh, a lot of like teacher for a lot of musicians and very, very like important figure in music. He was teaching clarinet. He was really funny and the instrument was funny and it was very nerdy. So there was a lot of buttons and I didn't understand it. But then he was like, do you want to learn this? He was like, of course, it, I don't understand this. So I have to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I was 13, his name was Hulam Hussein Garib. He pushed me into playing in an orchestra. And then before I knew it, I was playing in orchestras. And while studying like mathematics and physics, and uh, one of the people that I know in high school came out to be like Makon uh, Ashkevari, um, uh, so we played a lot of music together. And then he was a lot more forward-thinking than me. Then he then after Olam Hasengari, it was Makon's time to grab my hand and introduce me to some people, and one of them was Mahir Tamosvi. So it kind of happened to some point that I was just love to play music. And I remember even listening to a lot of music because we didn't have like a good stereo at home when I was a child. And none of us did at that time, you know, only if only a few people had, we had a mono headphone for people that don't know. It's just a headphone with one ear headphone. And then I would listen to a lot of ABBA and uh, Julio and a lot of other people. I don't even knew the name because it was the cassette players that my uh, my father recorded from the radio. So I would listen to a lot of music, play a little music. And then uh, there was in the middle of orchestra playing. God knows what. We're just reading out of the notes. And then then I decided to study music in university, you know, because it seemed natural because all these things has happened and I'm thriving in it and I'm having a good time in it. And it makes me emotional. It teaches me a lot. And I can make, uh, I can pass emotions through that instrument, through that notes. It, I think it was, I hate the word meant to be, but uh, to some point it was meant to be. And after that, it was my decision to where I wanted to land, what I wanted to do. And then I kind of, took control of the wheel <laughs> at some point. So, yeah. Did clarinet become your main instrument? Uh, yes. 
for a very long time, yes. And then when I was like uh, in, uh, I think, second year of high school, I had a basketball accident. I don't really play basketball, but from time to time I did. Um, uh, and then I dislocated one of my fingers, actually one of the important fingers. And then the doctor said, you cannot play clarinet for a very long time until this like heals. And uh, because I explained to him what is the function of this. And it, it's the pinky finger in clarinet is the most important finger. It's a weird thing. But anyway, then uh, for a year or half something, I couldn't play clarinet. Then I started drums. That was really fun. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, clarinet woodwinds is my main instrument and then of course later on i just grabbed anything that i could i know and then where did this interesting journey take you because right now you are i would say you're an international level but you would say no i'm not i mean yeah there we go there we go (laughs) yeah that's exactly why i was like i'm gonna say this but i know you're not gonna agree (laughs) But back then, all of this was happening in Iran, right? Yeah. All of this and was then you just moved. I Three years ago, I decided to move. And uh, it was like at a point that I felt like Iran has nothing for me. I have nothing for Iran. and uh, But I just don't want to feel this uh, dead inside. And at, uh, at the same time, I had a long distance relationship that um we had to make a decision about it as well. And then we kind of took the decision together that uh, it's it's the right moment to do this. It's either now or never kind of a situation. But um I'm happy that we did because that opened a lot of doors. That opened the, the most important door was that, hey, there's a hell lot of more information to learn. There's a hell lot of more places to go and and you have to get out, but not. I think if the situation of Iran wasn't like that, the Iran would have been like a, a very good place to do music in. And he, he, Iran has a fantastic music scene if they let it. But uh, that's mm. another discussion for another time. Because who we, to whatever musician, whenever musician, any style of musician that has ever played in Tehran would say that. Iran has the best crowd. And that's because that we are enthusiastic, we're hospitable, and we love music, and we don't have a lot of really nice live shows going on anyway. So they are eager to come back and to play, but uh, you know the situation, everybody knows the situation. That's a shit show and nothing that we can do about. So yeah, if uh, because of your own situation, um, we had this kind of international relations, then I don't think that I would then ever wanted to leave and probably convince my partner to come back to Tehran. But it was a very simple decision to make. My work has the potential of becoming international. And uh, there's only one way to be international, to be in a place that they recognize to be part of the international market. And uh, Iran is not part of the international market because it doesn't want to be part of the international market. How old were you when you moved? I was 33 when I moved. Wasn't it difficult because when you're living in a place and I mean, I moved when I was 24, 
when I was 24, I felt like, oh my God, I had a whole life there and I left everything and I started from scratch. I'm the type of person that I don't care about starting from scratch. That's why I move a lot. But I know a lot of people that in their 20s or in their 30s and they moved and they were like, I had a whole life there and now I have to start from zero. How was it for you? Wasn't it difficult? The thing is that uh, it was super hard. And uh, my luck is a bit of a strange thing. I am very lucky and at the same time, very unlucky. And uh, I think that's just the way that the life is like in general. But we tend to exaggerate it. But anyway, um, when I when I moved, when I decided to move, people say that I was at the height of my like uh, profession in Iran. So I was busy with one of the really good bands in Iran. I was doing a lot of movie projects. I was doing a lot of teaching jobs. I was doing books. I was doing uh, everything. And uh, then I decided enough. I want to go and. Uh, I study alongside people that uh, the oldest one is like 28. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm so lazy. I didn't finish. And, <laughs> and then here you are like 33 and you're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> then everybody would look <laughs> no, at no. you go, hey, you have like a lot of white hair in your beard and your hair. <laughs> so I think that's the best decision that I made. It was a really hard decision to make because when I... Usually it's a hard decision um, anyway. Uh, when I decided to do that, the moment that my visa came in, uh, the price of the euro like quadrupled and it became like <laughs> rarer than diamonds or whatever like uh, savings that I had was shrunk to pieces. And so it made life uh, sometimes impossible. Then the next year of the, so the first year of the study is like, it ended up quite nice. I learned a lot of things. I even participated in a lot of classes for the first years and the second years. I was like, really? They teach like this? Oh my God. I'm very happy that I'm here. And uh, this is exactly how I think it. And then I would be surprised of the things that is very natural to them that I would be fighting for. Like, Hey, I think this is like, anyway, that's a, a, another topic for another uh, conversation, but. It was really nice to know that you're standing on a nice ground in uh, like ethically and in uh, like a worldview. And then uh, the second year, like the middle of the second year that I had to like deliver my thesis and I was really excited and I was like scheduling a lot of things. And finally, my networking that I did for the like previous year is now paying off. I have like four projects. I'm doing everything. And then, hey, Corona hit. And then you're like, okay. Bye-bye music, and there's no live show, there's no nothing. All the projects canceled, a lot of them moved, and so so it was a horrible time. And uh, but I, I the the thing with being a musician is that, or an artist in general, yeah, you know, if you're an engineer, you might have doubts about what you're designing. If you are like a, a translator, you might have a little bit of a doubt, but uh you you will learn about it, but being an artist, you're not doubting that part of your knowledge. You're doubting your whole identity all over again. Like, what does it mean that I make another song? Who would care? Like, you have all these thoughts going on. And then the, with Corona, you know, I was in the darkest places like a lot of other people. And of course, financial 
difficulty would hit you and then you decide to do any job that is possible. And I know a lot of people that did like shady jobs for a very long time. People that had like international <clears throat> recognition and uh, uh, there were not a lot of funds available or a lot of things. So, but I survived. And uh, right now, in two months, uh, finally, after two years, my album is coming out. That uh, was my thesis. And um, I'm having a lot of touring with a lot of good musicians. And my phones start ringing again, which is really nice, really nice to know that there are places that we can um, perform. But the only thing, the only, only thing that kept me going on in all that darkness, in the COVID, in the financial difficulty, like aside, of course, from my partner, because she had my back in all of this and she was like my wall in everything and she's done like more than I could ever possibly imagine um, but apart from her was music itself whenever I had doubts I just needed to play like uh, music that I liked and the music that I loved or randomly hear something I would say oh that's nice that's a really nice idea and then just do a deep dive down into it and just remind myself that this is why I'm doing it and there's no other reason Right now, as you were talking, you just mentioned that during that dark times, there were moments that you started doubting the whole thing, why you're doing this thing. How did you come out of that? Because also, you mentioned, like, releasing music, who would care? Why would I even do this? I know a lot of, well, you are an artist, but also content creators at the same time, they put stuff out there. That is a part of them sometimes if they are really very much into whatever it is they're doing. So when they're doing content producing passionately, it's somehow like artists. And it is very difficult in moments like this when you're doubting everything to put anything out there. How did you come out of all of that? Was there anything in particular? Because I know that you mentioned your partner was there for you and also listening to this piece of music. But then there are times... That you're like, none of this is working at all. Did you have a moment like that? Of course, uh, every day. There are times that are, there are dark times. But uh, what I learned is that uh, cliches are right. <laughs> and uh, you just need to keep looking forward. It's very easy to say just this little tiny sentence, but you just need to keep looking forward and keep going forward. Then there's the question, so where is that forward? Where are you heading? Do you have a goal? And for me, there's only one picture that is fueling whatever that I'm doing, is that I'm on stage, I'm performing, and people are having a blast. That's it. And having a blast, if you go to my SoundCloud, like personal SoundCloud, almost all of them are a bit of gloomy pieces. And uh, that's part of me. I cannot deny it. But uh, when it comes to other people's project, I'm the one that is doing a lot of uh, exciting like melodies or doing some other stuff. For me, that part of me is sacred to me. So I'm publishing it on my name. What is that part? That part is that those gloomy days, those days that nothing is bright. I forced myself to play the piano. I forced myself to compose. I forced myself to make a preset. I forced myself to do something. And my motto is just do something. And 
And then when I do something, I say, okay, I did it. Now I can go and watch my series. Then I can go and waste my time. You know, it, it doesn't matter. I just did something. Um, what I mean by saying all of this is that there's a trap these days that I think I was about to fall into and then I didn't. And then I was about to fall into and then I didn't. So it's like a circular thing is that you change yourself to be applicable. You change yourself so people can like you. You change yourself so more people, more likes, more reshares, more reposts or whatever can happen. My answer for that bluntly would be fuck that. And I, there's no other way for me to put that because the moment you change yourself, you are untrue to yourself. Then whenever you hear that back, whenever you see that back, you're going to hate yourself. There's only one way to succeed and there's only one way to going forward and start be true to what you want to do and know what your goal is and just force yourself to do something every day. There's no, is, I know this is the most cliche thing to say, but this is very true. For example, your project, I already had a melody when you called me in my head. I was even playing it before you called me. It's like, oh, that's nice. I can use it here. That's it. And then there's a project for it. And then the project is just passed on and it's finished. If I have nothing in my head, then I would say maybe I can do something in a month's time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I have to be ready for the chance. If I have enough bullets in my gun, then I can do something about it. You know, so that's the only way. Was there ever a time for you that you were like, maybe this is not my path. Maybe being a musician is not my thing. Maybe I should do something else. Every day. And that's the thing. It's, it never goes away. Even when you, when you see someone and they say, Oh my God, you're so good. And then you know that at the end of the day, on that performance that they say that you're so good, you made like 102 mistakes and only like you know what you did. So I did uh, some other stuff in these last two years, of course, you know, some other jobs. And in one of them, I was offered like quite very recently, actually, like a higher jobs with a higher paying like jobs. But I never, never, ever would work for more than three days a week because I know that music is my destiny. And the moment that the shows start growing and then I can just live off my life only with music, I would say goodbye to whatever that job is because I'm that type of a person that if I do something, I want to do it like 100% and uh, whatever that is. But the amount of joy that I would get out of music is tremendous. And it is very selfish, but I want to have joy when I'm working. There's no other job that I, it will give me that much of the joy, you know. I know. Another thing that I have in mind is, so as you said, when you were in Iran, you were at this very good place career-wise, and then you started from zero. I know a lot of people don't even change their majors, like a simple thing. They don't even change major just because they're like, oh my God, I'll be 25, and then I'll be there sitting with people who are 18 or 19. How did that happen for you? Were you excited the whole time to learn new things, or were you like, oh, this is too, I'm too old for this shit. No, I can't. I am too old for this shit. But the thing is that what else? You're born in a country, in a culture that expects you to be something that you're not most of the time. You know, my family is, of course, part of a million other families in there. And um, 
I remember like fighting for studying music. And then four years later, I was making more money than my mom and my father combined. And uh, what is the justification like for like <laughs> my father, you know, even though I'm making more money to say, but you could have been a really good engineer. I know I could have been a really good engineer, you know, but that's not the point. Do I want to be a good engineer? You know? So when I was in the studio, when I was in Iran, whatever studio, you know, even uh, uh, the best studios, there was always something missing because I had this sound in my head. And the thing with the sound is that it is as abstract as anything can be, you know. When you want to say like examples of music, you would say it's a hot sound. It's a cold sound. It's a... I don't know, fluffy sound. And when you want to explain more, you would say like a pizza, like a, a pasta, like a really good. Why? Because the taste is the only other abstract feeling that we can have. And music is as abstract as food and maybe even more because it also depends on the culture that you're coming out of. Just imagine me, a perfectionist person that even can go to a, like a, a masochistic, <laughs> like a levels of being perfectionist, sitting in a studio and there are no words for what I want to say. And I'm lacking something and I have to pass on saying that because I cannot make my point across. And they are like looking at me weirdly. What the heck are you talking about? And now like, uh, nowadays I hadn't just need to say, Hey, Maybe that frequency there, maybe you have to just do that. And then I put a reverb on it. And then, yeah, how about that? What do you think? And they would like, mm, okay. And then that's it. So I learned the language that I was lacking. Now, if I'm hearing something that it's a mistake, I know how to correct it. It's just like a clarinet, you know. I would used to say to my students that I don't even need to see you when you play because the moment I hear something, I know what is wrong and what is right. Because that's how much I played it. And the same thing is now with music production. And that was what I was learning. I was really eager to learn. And actually, one of the points that they told me after I defended my thesis was that they were surprised that I did it in two years. They were thinking that because I didn't have any formal training in music production, I would do it in like three or four years. And I did it in two years because I wanted just to learn that fast. Was I eager? Of course I was eager. Was it hard? It was super hard. Just you were the guy that would be sitting in front of the class and then you're sitting alongside a lot of students that most of the time they're just grumpy. And then you're the only one. And then uh, you're the only one with a, like a goal in your head and you want to do something. And then when you're getting back home, then there's a lot of other sh grown up shit that you have to deal with. And then those teenagers would go out and they start drinking. And the next day they would be still grump grumpy, you know? So, yeah, but again, um, what is their goal? What is, what, what do they want to achieve? I wanted to achieve this level of professionality in music production. I wanted to be able to manipulate sound, manipulate feelings, to have control over that because there's only one language that I know, and that's music, uh, that can affect everyone. It's, what I'm about to say, maybe not related, but I think it's the best thing that I can say. Uh, three days ago, I had a concert with Ali Azimi, and uh, after the concert was finished, there was a 
super drunk Russian guy coming to me and said that uh, he's looking for Ali Azimi in German. I know a little bit of German. It was like, Ali is not here. He's like in backstage. And he'd say, I've been to all of his concerts in Europe. I don't even speak English. <laughs> I don't speak Farsi. I only speak Russian and German and I'm his fan. And Ali Azimi is like a Farsi, like an Iranian singer that only sings in Farsi. Why would a Russian guy be interested in him? That only shows that Music has no boundaries. So for me to learn this language with no boundaries, I had to go through sometimes hell and back to learn it. And I'm happy that I did. And it doesn't mean that I'm finished now, but I'm learning each day. But now I know the language. I know how to approach it. I know how to experiment on it and how to move forward with it. Jeez, that's so beautiful. I feel like we never had a deep conversation like this. Like, it's the first time I'm talking to you like this. <laughs> Ruzbe, what does the future hold for you? Because right now you're allowed to have concerts, which is super yeah. exciting. Tell us about your future plans. I don't have a, like, a clear plan. As I said, uh, I really believe in what life brings to you. And so far, it brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> Uh, a bit, like a bit more than what it, what the kind of a hell that it brought me. But I know what is going to happen in the next two or three years. I, I formed a band like uh, two years ago. That was my thesis project. It's called Esfand and, uh, it is like a electronic dance music based on Iranian folk music that I did for my thesis. Um, its first album will come out in the uh, last week of February publication of the, the first videos and singles and stuff will start from January. So starting 2022 is like a year. I will be playing as a session instrument player for some singers, uh, Iranian and non-Iranian people. I am now part of Shibali, which is uh, one of my hero musicians band, like Habib Mefta. I, I told him that the, the first time that he played in Arasparan, I was one of the audience members that I had to skip high school to be on that concert. <laughs> and then he, he was laughing, of course, but I'm not part of that. And I will be going to Paris to practice with uh, Habib uh, on this project. And uh, these are the two biggest projects that I will be having in the next two years. And I will be very busy with them and whatever else that comes along. It would be probably like uh, in the line of sound design for movies that I'm also doing one for a Syrian-American uh, uh, director and uh, some other like music for movies that I'm also doing like uh, two or three animation music that I'm doing. So if you need music, I will make for you. <laughs> That's like the bottom line of it, you know, that if the people, if the project is interesting, mostly I see that I'm interested in projects that uh, I kind of... Uh, um, non-linear when it comes to the culture that they, they introduce. So it's not like, like Eastern and Western. So it's like a multilingual international culture that I'm interested. And, um, so yeah, that is the kind of the thing that I'm going for. Like this project, if people have projects like this, they can definitely come to you and be like, we need something. Of course. Yeah. If, if the culture is non-linear, like if they have something in mind that is, only American, only like uh, Iranian. That I'm not the guy because I love to mix things together and make new food. I'm fusion guy, whether I like it, whether they like it or not. <laughs> That's why we're friends. Yeah. 
so <laughs> yes, much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Ruzma, tell us where people can find you. Because right now you were talking about all the good things that are going to happen. Where can they find all of that? In my Instagram. I'm a very lazy Instagrammer. But <laughs> anyway, but, but my Instagram would be or my Twitter would be the best place to go. I'm really trying to finish my projects and make my make a website for myself because uh, I was making my CV after like two or three years and I realized that I really need a website. I have to stop like just updating my PDF. <laughs> it's just... It just means that it's, uh, I don't know, it's just more pages, but people need to see what I'm doing, I think. And uh, it's good for me and uh, promotes what my idea is, like this idea of intercultural relationship, uh, new sounds and other things. My Instagram is uh, Ruzbe with R-O-U-Z-B-E-H underline S-Fan, S-Fan with E-S-F-A-N-D. And probably my Twitter is the same. <laughs> I'm not sure. I will have to check that. But what about your SoundCloud? I think if they go to my Instagram, there's a link tree there that they can go to this uh, SoundCloud and um, Twitter probably. <laughs> I'm just messing with you because I'm going to put all the links in the description box. I but anyway, You wanted to show I, me I, how I... I'm <laughs> not paying attention to social. <laughs> I know. I'm, yeah, I'm an owl sure, and sure. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay right right when we started this call guys he was just looking at the camera <laughs> like from under his glasses just like how grandpas do like dads do <laughs> it's so cute <laughs> um Ruzbe, if you were to leave the listeners of this podcast with one thing what would that be it's going to be corny but i really believe in them and uh, keep true to yourself that's the only thing that I can say, and I cannot emphasize it enough. If you work uh, on yourself and keeping it true and just realizing that by being true to yourself, it means that you are also embracing the changes that you're going through and uh, what you will become tomorrow, not just today, because you're going to change and you're going to change a lot. So if you embrace that in the best form possible, you're going to meet the nicest persons that you need to know in your life gradually and your work will be recognized. But if you don't know that, if you don't know who you are, no one else will. That is so true. Being true to yourself is definitely the first thing that I always tell people as well. Because if you're not, then what are you doing? You're just wasting your time. Ruzbe. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I always enjoy talking to you. <laughs> me too. Thanks and, for having me. It's always nice. And I am the proudest of you. And I always tell you, and you're always like so modest <laughs> and everything, but I don't give a shit. I need to remind you every now and then that I've been watching you. I've seen your growth. And every single time I hear something from you, I'm like, yes, this is my friend. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. I'm also proud of you, and you know that. Mm. You know the the growth. You know I still talk, uh, remember, like from time to time the talks that we had, and from before, and and you followed exactly what you mean. And I think you're uh, representing the idea of being true to yourself. Oh, thank you. And embracing you. the changes that happen. So 
Thank I'll you. I'll get you next. Thank you so much. <laughs> Rusba, go ahead and say your goodbyes, whatever way that you want, and then I'll do mine. Um, I only will thank whoever that listened up to this point, and I hope that I left them with something. I'm not going to say wisdom, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I left them with something that they might use for, for later. And I do hope that you enjoy the music that I know. Yes. And this episode is going to be a little bit different, the ending. It's going to be Ruzbeh's piece of music that we're going to put. I mean, the first one is also his piece. The second one is going to be not particular for this show. This was yet another episode of If I Did You Can Too... Until next time, bye-bye. Yeah.